Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It's wonderful to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. And I want to talk about a no deal at all. If you are a longtime listener, you know how I feel about gift cards. But in spite of my feeling about them, gift cards have remained a very popular thing for people to give other people for gifts. When you don't know what to buy somebody, you're trying to save time, you just buy them a gift card. Well, that has become a very dicey thing this year for a couple of reasons. Retailers are closing in huge numbers. There was a report from Bloomberg that we're going to see something around 25,000 retail stores close. And that's uh, two and a half times last year's total. And a lot of chains are going to vanish in total. A lot of uh, small operators are going to close as well. And those gift cards that you have for retail stores could end up going to dust. You know, it's different when a retail store is worried about its reputation when it files for bankruptcy. And one of the first motions they'll file with a bankruptcy court judge is to honor gift cards through the bankruptcy process. Historically, though, a retailer would be reducing their number of locations and be preserving their reputation moving forward. But now we have chains that are just saying, we give up, and they just close everything, and they're gone. The gift cards vanish into thin air. Sometimes, and you got to get lucky here, the retailer will honor gift cards through the uh, liquidation as a way of luring people in so they buy what they can buy with the gift card and then buy other stuff as well. But you got to be lucky in that case. So don't be unlucky in the first place by sitting there with gift cards gathering dust. I want you to go get your gift cards out and use them up. If it's uh, a going concern retailer you and you don't ever think you're going to go shop there, either online if they have an online presence or in person in a store, look at the websites we have at Clark.com where you can sell your gift cards to other people. You're not going to get a dollar for dollar, but you'll generally do okay selling them, getting decent money, and that's a way of you turning what is sitting there as a worthless piece of plastic into cash, and you want to either use it or turn it into cash before it truly does become worth zero. Now, the tougher thing for me to talk about are the restaurants. Uh, restaurateurs have found themselves in a world of hurt, no fault of their own, and I'd say this is also true for boutiques and 
clothing stores as well. So I can't say it's completely different. But restaurateurs are in a situation where you've got a majority of people who are not willing to go eat in a restaurant right now. They might be willing to do carryout or curbside pickup or delivery, but they're not willing to eat inside. And uh, most uh, sit-down restaurants cannot survive in this environment. So uh, if you have gift cards for restaurants that are sitting around and you're worried about losing that money, go ahead and do an order for delivery or pickup or takeout from that restaurant and get the value out of the card. Now, there are also people that are choosing not to redeem their restaurant gift cards because they don't want to add to the difficulties that the restaurateur is facing. And I'll leave that to your own decision-making on how you feel about that. And now it's time to answer your questions that you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. And who's up first right now, Kim or Joel? Clark, I'll take this one. And Janet in Colorado says, I need advice on hearing aids. I I want something that's good quality. Does a higher price always equate to higher quality? Where would you recommend shopping around for hearing aids? So I'll start with the lowest cost mainstream hearing aid choice that's available. And that's from IHearMedical.com. IHearMedical is a FDA-approved hearing aid, and they have a, a brilliant way of doing a fully proper test on you. And their hearing aid is $449 per ear. Nine, um, was that $900 for a pair which is very, very inexpensive. We've had very good feedback from people on the I Hear Medical hearing aids, and I would say that's a place to start to check it out. And again, I-H-E-A-R medical.com. The other alternative I'd recommend that gets great reviews is buying the private label Kirkland Signature hearing aids from Costco. That's going to be 1500 bucks. Um, you know, so often people spend four to $5,000 on hearing aids in the United States. And Costco at 1500 is obviously way less than that. But I hear medical is the cheapest I know of for an FDA approved hearing aid. The price of hearing aids will come down over time because we had an unusual situation in the United States that the Congress addressed where our hearing aid prices are as much as 50 times higher than they are in other countries in the world. And I've talked about all the particulars of that in the past. No need to do it now. But the long-term trend for hearing aids in the United States is going to get better and better and better on the price front. Kim? Lori in Nevada wants to know, is this a good time to buy a home warranty? There's things I'd like to fix, but I don't know if they're a good idea to have. So I'm a negative naysayer on home warranties, that they are a great sales technique when you're selling your home because a buyer is putting so much money into the down payment and is facing down the barrel of 
the big mortgage payments month after month, and they're scared. And so offering at time of sale of your home a used home warranty on it, I think is a good idea as a marketing strategy. As a practical matter, the used home warranties tend to be very troublesome, very difficult to use, and the renewal rate on them is not high because of all the problems people have with them. I would prefer that you take the 500 or so dollars that you would spend on one each year and put it in a maintenance fund, an online savings account that is just designed to use for repairs on your home. Think about it. If you put 500 in every year like you would have in the warranty, in a decade you've got Ten, I'm sorry, you've got $5,000 that you've saved to use for repairs to your home, plus whatever interest that money would earn over the years while it's sitting there waiting for a problem to fix. Joel? Clark Mark in Pennsylvania says, my wife and I were involved in a 50-plus vehicle accident a few <gasps> years ago. We were at the tail end, fortunately, and only sustained minor injuries. We're being sued, as are most drivers involved. My question is, can we shop around for a new insurance provider as we usually do every few years, or do we need to stick it out with the insurance provider we have until the litigation is settled? So the insurer has to represent you and needs to just as they would have otherwise because they're the ones at risk. The accident because of, how many years ago was it, Joel? It was uh, a few years ago, he said. A few. um, So depending on the time that you were you were probably cited as one of the people at fault being at the back end of that chain chain accident. The thing is, depending on how many years ago it was, it may not be affecting your ability to shop around with companies. The only way to know is shop around and see what kind of quotes you get. But you don't need to stay a captive to that insurer because of the issue of defense against the suit because they are responsible for defending you regardless because you were there insured at that time and nothing would be different about how you would be defended. Kim? Kevin in West Virginia says, Clark, I wasn't sure who to ask this to, but I've really come to trust your advice. So I figured, why not you? I'm 50 years old, currently in a job that I'm not really qualified for. And I think my time there might be coming to an end. I'm seriously considering trying to continue my education in order to go into network or IT security. Is 50 years old too old to basically restart a career? I don't want to waste my time and money if, quote, nobody's going to hire the old guy for a tech job. All right. That is a wonderful question. And there's no doubt that we have a terrible problem in the United States with age discrimination and employment. But if you go into a tech field where the demand for workers greatly exceeds the supply of people, you will not have to worry about age discrimination in the same way you would in other fields. In a field where there's equilibrium, in other words, that there's not a shortage of people to do the work, you'll find that getting more education to get a fresh start in a new career the education will not pay off because of age discrimination past age 45. But in the tech field, you very likely are going to be able to get a degree for which the demand will exceed the supply of people who have the skills. 
and you will overcome that discrimination. Joel? Clark Cathy in Ohio says, where can I find what I've heard is called an amortization calculator? I've been paying over $250 extra a month on my mortgage, and I want to know how much sooner I'll be able to have it paid off. Or is there a way just I can just calculate it myself too? Now, actually, you if you go on whatever search engine you use, DuckDuckGo or Google or whatever you use, is a search engine on your computer, and you put in uh, mortgage amortization schedule or mortgage amortization calculator you will see a lot that are available for free right there that you can go to or there's a very popular app for android i think there's i forget what the equivalent is for um, iphones but it's called fin calculator and you can see it at fncalculator.com and then download the app to your phone and you can do the calculations many different ways they have 18 different uh, financial calculators not just for mortgages but for a bunch of different things their mortgage one covers the situation where you're making additional principal payments each month kim Paul in California says, hi, I followed your advice and I had signed up for the Equifax cash settlement, but I haven't received anything yet. Do you know the latest on this? Yes, this is one of those sagas that just never seems to get better. So Equifax reached a tentative settlement on their massive data breach that exposed deep personal information on 150 million of us. And to their surprise, a huge number of people filed to get what was going to be 200 bucks. Now so many people have filed, I think it's like 12 cents each person would get. So nothing has been approved by the court because the initial settlement just hasn't worked out right. And as soon as they have a final decision, we'll let you know. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Becky is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Becky. Hello. Becky, why do you keep calling me? Uh, I'm just aggravation, I guess. I'm teasing. But you're getting calls from people saying that, aren't you? Yes, a lot of them. Tell me what the scoop is, what has got you upset and annoyed. I kept getting phone calls, and it looked like a local phone exchange with a local area code. And I thought, well, maybe one of my friends has changed their phone number because typically I don't answer phone calls that I don't recognize the phone. So I answered this one, and a very irate lady just said, why do you keep calling me? And I just, I've never called you. So she was very angry. Right. So what this is referring to is caller ID spoofing. So let's say a scammer is trying to score money trying to con somebody, trying to rip somebody off, people are much more likely to answer a phone call from an unknown number if it's local to them. Mm -hmm. So criminals can take 
any phone number that exists and make it appear in somebody's caller ID on their home phone or cell phone. Wow. So what likely happened is just that. Is this the only person you've heard from or are others also calling no, you? I've heard I, from others. I'm sorry? I've heard from others, too, that they've called me. I am really, really sorry. So it is uh, probably a robo-dialer that is mm-hmm. calling people over and over again from the same fake representation of your number and the terrible thing is there's nothing you can do to stop it and there's nothing the people that the crooks are calling can do to stop it so do you have a voicemail oh yes why don't you set a message on your voicemail and say i'm really sorry if you're getting calls repeatedly from what appears to be my phone number it is some scammer that is spoofing my caller id and i wish i could stop it but don't answer your phone anymore unless it is somebody you know and i would put that message on your voicemail so that they know it's not you and someday somehow we'll deal with all the caller id spoofing Who knows when? First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you have. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. And I want to talk to you about something that is always in season, but is going to be much more so as we move through 2020. And that's the debt collectors coming after you. You know, a lot of people had debts prior to the coronavirus recession, but now the number of people who have unpaid debts has gone way up. The collection industry at times like this becomes extremely aggressive, and you have a lot more shadowy, really sleazy debt collectors come into the marketplace during a time period of a recession. Now, I want to tell you, as somebody who was a bill collector myself, that's how I paid my way through graduate school, I want you to know that most debt collectors are doing a difficult job honestly. Doesn't mean they might not be aggressive, but you also have to worry so much about the people that are hoodlums in the business. And I want to talk to you about one of the things that's really, really important that you know. And that's something known as time-barred debt. What that means is if you have a collector calling you, and generally the ones that are the most sleazy, the ones that are the most crooked, are ones that are trying to collect older debts. They are what are known as uh, debt buyers that will go to 
a bank, a credit card company, whoever, and they'll offer them uh, maybe a fraction of a penny per dollar for old, old, old debts. And those debts are uh, maybe the amounts listed usually are wrong. The debt may not even still be owed. There are all kinds of fuzzy circumstances that happen with these old, old debts. Well, every state in the country has what's known as statute of limitations on debt. And depending on the kind of debt and the state you live in, the time will vary. But generally, after three to six years in most states, and again, there are exceptions, a collector cannot sue you against a debt. Doesn't mean they can't call you and try to get money from you, but they can't sue you against it. Well, there's a practice done by the sleazy part of the debt collection industry where they will say, you know, it would be great if you just paid anything against this debt. Wouldn't you feel right just paying something against it? So let's say you owed somebody $500. They may say, what if you just paid $25 against it? And we'll call it done. Well, what they're doing is in many states, if you make any payment against an old, old debt, the debt could be 20 or 30 years old, you make any payment against it, and then suddenly it refreshes the date of the debt to be like it was today, not 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So what the collectors will do is they'll run this song and dance on you, get you to pay anything at all, so that then they can turn around and sue you and get a judgment against you for that ancient debt. So know that any time a sweet-talking collector, debt collector tries to get you to pay any amount of money, any amount of money against something old, 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 you need to know the game they're playing. Second, the debt collection industry is fighting hard as they can against a uh, proposed regulation where the collector would be required to tell you that a debt is outside of statute of limitations, that they cannot sue you against the debt. They'd like you to pay an amount on it, but they have to disclose under this proposed regulation that they can't sue you. So they're fighting that like crazy because, remember, they've got this whole game they're running. So if you ever do want to make amends for an old, old debt and you recognize it as yours, you believe the amount you're being asked to pay and that you owe is valid, know that there's a way you can pay it that will eliminate the problems I'm talking about here. And that is, in writing from the collector, you have an agreement that payment of whatever amount, let's say the $500 you owed, you agree to pay $25, that before you pay it, you have in writing from them that payment of the $25 constitutes payment in full against the debt. With any debt where you agree to pay, you need in writing what the payment is for and what it represents as complete payment of the debt or as an amount towards it. Know that you don't have to talk to a debt collector. You know, there are debt collectors that violate what's known as the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act and will call you again and again and again and again. 
do you know you have the right to write a collector and tell them they can never contact you again about a debt? If it's within a time period they can sue you for it, the only thing they could do at that point is sue you, but they can't contact you again at any time. Most of the time that they're calling you repeatedly, it is for an old, old debt, and they're trying to intimidate you, harass you into paying against it. Now, let me mention this to you. I'm not saying if you owe a debt and you can afford to pay it, that you should not pay it. I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying that if you owe a debt and you can afford to pay it, I want you to pay whatever amount you reach an agreement on, but they don't get any money until and unless you have in writing an agreement that represents the amount that you are paying and what that does in terms of the overall debt, that payment of X dollars represents payment in full against this debt, and you need that formally written before they get any money. Do not ever give a bill collector your checking account number because this has happened over and over again because of the lack of consumer protections in the rules governing ACH, Automated Clearinghouse. Once a debt collector has your checking account information, your routing numbers, they can hit up your account unlimited times for any amount of money, no matter what they've agreed with you, and you have virtually no rights under ACH to stop that. So my favorite way for you to pay a debt is to pay by money order, because then they don't have any way of getting at your checking account. Or as a fallback, it's okay, again, if you already have the agreement in writing, to give your credit card number because you have special rights with credit cards that don't exist once you've given a bill collector, a debt collector, information on your checking account. I know I can predict the future, having been on the air through multiple recessions, that problems with debt collectors are going to become very present for us on our show, and I want you to know that I will arm you with the information you need to protect your rights. We are answering questions that you posted for me at clark.com slash ask with producers Kim and Joel asking your questions. And Kim, who do you have a question from? This is from a couple. It's Leonard and Lisa. They're in Georgia. And they say they recently opened a clock repair business. What's the best place for free or low cost advertising? We're home based, but we make house calls. I am still in shock at how much advertising ends. Any advice would be appreciated. So when you're opening a, a small business like yours that's targeted towards a specific audience, you can use a platform that will cost you nothing, and that is social media. That if you come up with a social media strategy, and if that's something that's not natural for you, hire a young person on an hourly basis to do it for you you will find that your most effective way of targeting the market is going to be through um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, uh, you name it. And you're going to find that someone who is savvy at social media will be able to establish a presence for you that will be more effective potentially 
than being able to promote a business like yours that has a narrow market. You're not in a situation where you're going to look at traditional media as a way to effectively promote and advertise your business. And that's where the most effective dollars you can spend is on a young, social media savvy individual who creates your social media plan and implements it for you. Joel? Clark Kevin in Virginia says, I have $75,000 in my savings account and $50,000 in stocks, half of which is profit and gain. Uh, my mortgage balance is $100,000. Would you sell the stocks and use some of that savings to pay down most of the mortgage? I don't have any other debt, by the way. So it's really fantastic and cool to be mortgage debt free. But whether that's the safest, best strategy in your life and situation depends on other factors. So if you were to take uh, your savings and the stock money you have and you got 125 grand there and you have to pay a little bit of tax on the embedded capital gains and the stocks, you wipe out your mortgage. You're not going to have much cushion there for rainy days and unexpected expenses. You will eliminate an ongoing debt and that is a very valuable thing to have done with, but you can't eat your house if you need money from it. The alternatives to get money from it are expensive. You have to set up home equity line of credit or whatever. So if your savings are earning even at best one point something percent and your mortgage is north of four percent and you're not worried about the cash cushion what you could do is pay off the mortgage and every month put back into savings the money that you would have paid towards your mortgage each month and if you're disciplined like that and you could stick to that then that could work as a strategy so do you hear how many hymns and haws i put into that I really want you to think about what your fallback is for how you pay bills if you had an unexpected circumstance. And if you have figured out how you can handle that and you create this completely debt-free environment in your life, go for it. Kim? This is from Stanton in Georgia. He says, my mom has rented out homes for the last 20 years mostly long-term rentals. It looks as though she doesn't want the hassle of rental properties anymore. I'm 30. I flipped a property once, but I'm thinking maybe it's time I start to rent properties out. My mom has one property in particular that she's asking me if I'd like to manage for her, and I'm thinking maybe I'll try Airbnb or VRBO. Should I do the needed research in order to start using one of these sites? Or do you think I should follow in her footsteps and only look for long-term rentals? Well, Kim, Joel, and I have all been on different sides of this. That is true. Uh, Kim, uh, for a significant period of time, did Airbnb as an Airbnb host. Is that right? Yep. Starting in 2012. It was um, towards the beginning. And... Uh, Joel and I both have always done long-term renters, and it's a completely different marketplace. Uh, Kim was repeatedly having to go in 
and clean the place up after each guest, completely see after each reservation and all the rest. So it really is a question of what feels uh, right for you, what feels best for you, which would make you the most um, comfortable. But I will tell you, given a choice hearing Kim's experiences and knowing what Joel and I and other people do long-term rentals, um, I'm not interested in being in the hotel business. <laughs> and so for me, I would say that it would be uh, something I would look at doing what your mom has done and do the long-term rentals. If you believe the property is one that really, really could generate much more profit and much more ongoing revenue, being a rental and you're not afraid of be running your own little hotel, go for it. Because obviously there are lots of people around the country who feel like Kim does more than they do like Joel and I do about this. So uh, make your own call, but your mom set up the track record for you. And my first instinct would be to follow in her footsteps. Linda's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Linda. How are you? Good. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I understand you would really like to have a budget you can live with. Tell me about that. Everyone's favorite topic. Yes. My husband and I are planning on an early retirement, and we've never really been budgeters or tracked our spending. We've always been good savers and made a good income, but now there'll be no income. So now I think it's much more important so that we make sure we're not overspending. But the question is, how do you do that easily? It's easy. If you do cash, you can see it's a visual. Okay, sure. I'm running low or I'm out of money, this, so I'm, I'm, I'm done. But when we pay everything with credit cards, which is great for the end of the month, I know what, where it all went, but how do we track it easily without putting every single thing we spend down so that we can keep on track? I'm looking for ideas. So there is an, uh, a thing called Mint, M-I-N-T. Have you ever heard of it? Yep, yep. And people complain that Mint is not as up to date as it should be, but it is free and you can start with it and use it as a way of easily electronically tracking that spending. And since you're using credit cards for everything, it should be uh, pretty much made to order for what you're trying to do. I mean, you know, if you if you told me the two of you had a spending problem, there's another one that I would recommend to you that you actually have to pay for that's all about uh, figuratively hitting you over the head about what you're spending. But if what you're trying to do is data entry, right? Sorry. Like I I have a budget app now that I started to use about six months ago to try it out. And so it requires me to just put down what I spend and it keeps track of it. But it's that step of putting it every single thing in yeah with mint you, have do you don't have mint? to do that you know mint you ah. you do the cross-reference sign-ins for your various cards and it mm-hmm. automatically tracks it so we can just log in and see it anytime i see right so you're able to know oops we're spending too much on this that or the other and it gives you that doesn't sound like you need discipline you just need to know what you're up to and are you in a danger exactly. zone with what you're spending? And I think that Mint would be a great place to start. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. 
Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.